Certainly good to see you this morning. Our scripture reading in a few moments will be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 20. It'll be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Follow with me. Yesterday afternoon, while some of you were enjoying the thunder and lightning show we had here in San Diego, I was driving back from L.A., not enjoying the thunder and lightning. And some of those crazies out there on Interstate 5. But I had a vision in my mind as I was driving concerning a great board that uh, we could perhaps put up here in the church someplace. And we'd give you a nice marker. And uh, together we could begin to compile all the wonderful things all the very servant-type acts we had committed during that week. You know, some of them random acts of kindness, some of them very intentional. Can you imagine how many acts that might be if we were to bring all of our work together for the week? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it? (laughs) I don't think I've convinced you. Well, maybe it's because you understand that if we thought that that chart and what we wrote there and where we signed our name would really make a difference before God in attempting to bring about redemption for us, it would not mean a thing, would it? You see, I'm going to keep banging that drum that helps us to understand that it's not our works that merits our salvation. It is that gift of God that he gives to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I think God is grateful when we do those kinds of good works. And I'm not even certain that he's offended if we take the time to mark them down. Just as long as we don't think that somehow we have earned God's favor with regard to redemption by those good deeds. Do you see the point I'm trying to drive at? It's not about us when it comes to salvation. It's about what God has done through Jesus Christ for us. With that in mind, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Genesis chapter, Genesis, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 20. To give a human example, brothers and sisters, even with a man-made covenant, No one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. 
But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. I don't do well with titles for sermons. Uh, This is my third Sunday. I guess it would probably have been as good to call this Sermon 3. (laughs) Abraham, Christ, and the church. Not very flashy, but I think it says what the text says, and that's what I'm concerned about. Paul begins with an illustration, and illustrations are windows that help us see into a deeper truth. And he begins by talking about a will, a human will that is being made where a person, man or woman, could have a summary evaluation of the size of their estate, great or small, knowing that at their death it would be administered in such a way that would have the mark of their approval on it. Now, what Paul is saying is that the only way that that will can be nullified or made invalid is for the one who made the will to change it, to alter it, to nullify it. Well, that and a really good lawyer. Lawyer jokes aren't in this morning, huh? So the will is validated and ratified and unchangeable. And that's the point that Paul wants to make about the divine promises of God that were made to Father Abraham. We could go back to Genesis, as I almost did earlier, and we could take a look at those promises. What did God promise Abraham, he promised him children, he promised him land, he promised him a seed and offspring who would care for those promises. And he promised that through Abraham, all the families, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What he's really promising Abraham is the divine gift of salvation for all who will, by faith, receive God's word in their lives. Now, it says about these divine promises here in verse 16, that these promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his offspring. Now, let me talk to you about that just a little bit, so you'll, I think, understand what Paul is saying. Several years ago, a headline uh, was written for a sports page in one of the New York newspapers that said, The Yankees is dead. The editor of the paper got lots of words from so-called grammarians talking about the problem there. 
But the headline was correct. Yankees is a collective term. It's one. And we use the singular verb to be, is, with that. The Yankees is dead. Perfectly good English. What we have here in the text of the Old Testament, when it moved from Hebrew into Greek, was a collective term. When it talked about Abraham and his seed. A collective term. But it's a singular term in the language of the Old Testament. And Paul takes that, using good rabbinic exegesis, so I'm told, and allows Jesus Christ to be the fulfillment of all of those promises made to Father Abraham. Now, you know, we know Father Abraham had many sons. (laughs) Many sons had Father Abraham. You're right. We know about Isaac, who was really called the child of the promise. Some of us know about Ishmael, the son born to Hagar and Abraham. But sometimes we forget that after Sarah died, Abraham married a woman by the name of Keturah and had other sons and daughters. And so there were more children there. There were several Offspring, plural. Paul is trying to make the point that it doesn't matter how many offspring Abraham had. The one that mattered was Jesus Christ who would come from his lineage and to be the fulfillment of everything that God had promised to him. So it is in Christ that the promise comes. It is in Christ that we gain that insight to salvation that we need. It is in Christ that the new covenant is finally fulfilled. And as members of the body of Christ, we... Receive that inheritance that God has given to us in Christ as we participate in him. Sometimes we forget how significant the church is. You know, the church is not just a club or an association or some place where we can go because some of the people like us and accept us and As I've already told Rob, good job on the music, and the music's good, and we can enjoy what's happening. And we go our way. No, that's not what the church is about. The church is about a body of believers, one individual at a time, who become the reflection of God in a needy world, who bear witness to the promises of God and God's transforming power in all that he has done for us. That's who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. Together, bearing witness about what God is doing in the midst of a needy world. And you see, 
The other things that happen are kids going to camp or the potlucks or the, you know, Carl cooking the hamburgers and the hot dogs. That's all extra. But it's not about just doing things. It's about bearing witness to the transforming power of God in our lives. It's about bearing witness to the fact that Jesus Christ wants to make us new and to give us new life for old. And that happens because of Abraham, the promises made to him, irrevocable promises, their fulfillment in Jesus and our participation in him. Now, it is at that point that I have to struggle for a moment. Because, you see, the church is a collective, isn't it? Excuse me. But it's made up of each one of us. It's made up of those of us who bear witness to that transforming grace. And so we're in this thing together. But we're individuals together who have found what it means to bear the life of Christ in this world. A bearing that reaches back to Abraham himself. And that's the good news. That's what this is all about. And the divine promises are there. And we are going to share that wonder of his promises as we give our lives to him. Thank you, dear brother. Thank you. Yes. <clears throat> now, this idea of an irrevocable will is there to help us understand that the promises made thousands of years ago to Father Abraham fulfilled in Christ, will be sufficient for us when we stand at the judgment bar of God himself. That's the good news. And it's not merely about the good things we have done that we can use to impress our Father. It's about what he has done and the fact that we have received that grace in our lives. Now, you might be saying to me, Smith, you mean then we can just kind of live out all of the desires of a carnal and lustful mind? And did I say that? I didn't say that. You want to read what Paul thinks about Christian ethic? Sometime this week, begin to read Galatians chapter 5 and on into chapter 6. As he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and what it means to live as people who live under the sign of the cross. As he helps us understand what this Christian life is all about. But you see, as I mentioned last week, that life flows out of the experience of grace. It does not lead us to it. 
And that makes all of the difference in the world. You husbands, you know, whether you've done dishes for your wife out of love or out of being forced. You see, that really is not the mark of one's favor, is it? Some people will go to great extremes not to do that. They'll have surgery and things. But it's not about what we do to impress God. It's our willingness to recognize our need of what he has done for us and to receive it and to begin to live in the wonder of that grace. You see, that's the good news. It's not about what I can do. It's not about what I have to do. It's about what he has done. Amen. That's the good news. And so, here we are. The example of the will has been given. And Paul has told us about the wonder of the divine covenants. And then he begins to talk about the problem created by the law itself. He says in verse 17, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels and by a mediator. Those are intriguing words. Let me try to give you my take on what Paul is trying to say. God gave the children of Israel, the law, so that they might reflect his will wherever they went. For you see, it was the early Jews who kept Sabbath. That was not a typical thing in the ancient Near East. Others would do it later, but uh, we don't know anybody who did it previously. The Jews practiced circumcision of the males as a mark of that divine promise that God was involved in the midst of their lives. And so this sense of Sabbath worship, this sense of circumcision, this sense of dietary regulations was given to Israel so that People might know that they were different because of their relationship to the God who called them to be his people. And he was creating a holy people unto himself, a people of obedience, a people who followed him. But Paul tells us in this passage... That that law was to be temporary, and we'll see that again next week. But until 
The promise is fulfilled in Christ, the offspring of Abraham. So it's not merely about keeping the law. It's not merely about the good things that I do. It's about what God has done and how that has begun to transform who I am, who we are as God's people. And we live out of that, dare I say, refreshing transformation in which we have surrendered the old for the new. And a new that keeps on in its newness and does not grow old. And a part of the reason that it doesn't is because we are in this together as we're growing and becoming and experiencing new life together. I've been around this church a long time. We started coming in early September 1988. It was a good choice for us as a family, and I'm grateful. But a lot of you weren't here then, were you? In fact, most of you weren't. And I think about how the congregation has changed, and I think about what you have added to my life in our talks together, in our sharing times, and just the banter that we can experience. That's a part of that wonderful sense of being the body of Christ together. Your very presence helps make it new for us. And we don't even begin to know those who are yet to come to create newness and freshness to all that we are as God's grace is made known in abundance to us. So the law, a very important part of Israel's existence, fulfilled in Christ himself. Fulfilled. And if you want to see what a part of that fulfillment looks like, make sure you read Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, and reading through the end of the chapter, as Paul talks about the commandments as he understood them and the traditions of the fathers and how he wants them to be internalized, to work from the inside out, not from the outside in. That's the role of faith. God is at work within us to make life anew. Why the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offsprings should come to whom the promise had been made, Christ himself. And it was put in place through angels and by an intermediary. Paul is not saying that the law was second best because there were intermediaries involved. No. We can read the story in Exodus. We know that Moses went to Mount Sinai and there God administered the law to him, no doubt through an angel. And then Moses comes down from the mountain and administers the law to the people and gives them the law. 
But Paul is saying there are intermediaries involved. And an intermediary really involves at least two concerns. Frequently two concerns that stand in opposition to each other. And the mediator is there to try to reconcile the two opposing stances. Sometimes the mediator is effective. Sometimes the mediator isn't. But God does not use a mediator for the divine promises, Paul is telling us. He has given them to Abraham, for God is one, verse 20 tells us. That the sufficiency of the coming of the promises is not merely mediated, though it even originates in God. It comes directly from him. And so it seems that in Paul's mind, that is the significant point that he wants to make. And that God is one. If you're attuned to some of the teachings of the Old Testament, you'll remember that prayer that even modern Jewish people pray twice a day in their commitment to God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema, that great confession of faith that brought monotheism into play within the ancient world where it hardly ever existed. The plurality of the gods and goddesses was everywhere to be found. There weren't many atheists in the ancient world, but lots of gods and goddesses. And Paul reminds the readers of his letter in Galatia that God is one, not to be confused with the pagan religions. And it is in him that the promises have been made known. And in Christ they have been fulfilled. And we experience the wonder and joy of his presence in that very awareness. Abraham, Christ, the church. Abraham received. Jesus fulfilled. We inherit. We inherit. Now, when we think of an inheritance, we usually want to put a dollar figure there, don't we? <laughs> and we'd like it to be as large as possible. You see, there's no way to put a dollar amount for the inheritance we have gained in Christ. But truly, my brothers and sisters, and truly to you, You young people with so much of life to live. And you too, John. <laughs> it's a priceless commodity, this salvation that God has given to us. Priceless. And it will span the gulf when we move from life through death to eternity. And it is that which will make the difference for all of us. Oh, they can write about what we've done in a legacy book that 
people will just put on the shelf and forget in time. But we will be the inheritors of divine promises that will stand the test of all eternity because God has given to them, God has given them to us by faith that we might live this life filled with his grace, bearing witness to his presence to a needy world and made alive by the power of of Christ himself. May God's blessings be with you.